Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. It stars Song Hye-kyo and Park Bo-gum, which is a very interesting coupling considering their massive age gap. This is when Park Bo-gum was in his early to mid-20s and when Song Hye-kyo was pushing 40. Of course, nobody would question that if it was the reverse gender, right? Like an older man and a younger woman. But in this instance, it's a much older woman and a younger man. So uh, progressive in some ways, yes, I suppose. But I might have mentioned this in some of my other episodes, but there is sort of a, a dearth when it comes to male Korean leads who are like in their 30s and at their prime, like at the height of their fame, really kicking ass. I mean, they're very, they're very few and far in between but there's a huge demand for Korean dramas. Park Bo-gum, massive celebrity since he did Reply, uh, 1988. And they were just like, let's match him with the other biggest Hallyu celebrity we have, which is Hong Yi-kyo. And uh, this show uh, cost a lot of money. They shot scenes in Cuba, as you guys have seen, which I thought was pretty cool. I thought that was very impressive as a production feat. And uh, this show was written by Yu Young-ha, and she wrote a number of Korean dramas. She's written 39, which all of you have seen. Uh, she wrote Entertainer, which came out a few years ago. She wrote Belle Ami, which I have not seen. She wrote Sacred Divorce, which I have also not seen. But she's written many, many uh, Korean films, and one of them includes uh, Kim Ji-young 1982, which is based on a novel and that film came out in the year 2019 and created a bit of a, how do I say, a mild unrest uh, when it came to gender politics, uh, especially from misogynistic people saying that this this movie was uh, anti-male and too feminist, you know, like um, it sucks that that even needs to happen, but that's what this film caused. So that film stars Kong Yu and Cheng Yumi. They were in that very famous movie, Train to Busan. This this writer, Yu Young she also wrote uh, My Annoying Brother, starring Cho Jung Seok and Do Kyung Soo, which I've seen. It's an okay movie, definitely a melodrama, but starring two male leads. Anyway, the show Encounter, it has a number of fascinating qualities. For instance, like it's got kind of this like Cinderella vibe, like a Cinderella mm, grid, so to speak, right? Like you have this young man who is from a working class background, like his his dad is a fruit salesman, right? And, um, you know, very like modest, humble background who... Uh, just managed to work his way into this hotel, like what, you know, through his own merit, right? Like he, he studied very well and successfully landed this job at a prestigious hotel, but it just so happens that he falls in love with the CEO of this hotel, right? And we've seen this kind of trope with like the young working class person who is poor falling in love with the CEO. Like we see this time and time again, but there are several things that are uh, different about this. For for instance, like in all these um, dramas where like the young girl who is poor falling in love with the CEO is like, she always is indebted to him. Like she, she owes him money or he helps her out, like bails her out with, with some debt that she's you know, sitting with, but there's no debt in this drama, which is very, very interesting. Like, I guess when it comes to gender politics, like a man can't be indebted to a woman. 
and still be in love with her. I mean, I thought this was fascinating. The other thing that I thought was interesting is, um, yeah, like, you know, you always have this scene in a lot of uh, K-drama rom-coms where the rich CEO guy gives the poor girl a makeover. Like he hires, you know, a hairdresser, makeup artist, uh, puts a personal shopper to her and gets her all like redone up. And then uh, there's that scene where like the camera like closes in on his face when he first sees her and he's like in love with her, right? Uh, but they have a scene like that in this show, Encounter, where um, Song Yegyo's character, like she's not expecting him, but um, Pak Bogum's character is like taken aside by the CEO's chauffeur who is like playing matchmaker. Like the chauffeur is like the fairy godmother in this drama. And he gets Pak Bogum to, you know, put on a new outfit, new shoes, like get his hair like gelled up. And then he shows up at the ball and smooches Song Yegyo's character, right? It's like such a fascinating scene. There is a, there is a time limit, you know, like, like the 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 carriage will turn into a pumpkin. Like, you know, this is not like an extended thing. Like he needs to go back to being a, a work person at the office the next day. She needs to go back to her position as the CEO. It's really, really fascinating. I think it's an interesting choice as a writer to rewrite the whole Cinderella tale by swapping genders, but it's just interesting. Like this sort of carefulness that uh, these careful precautions that people take, like, what would it look like if the guy was really completely, utterly, like, in the shits, dirt poor, and he did need her financial help? Like, would that make him less of a man? Would that make him unattractive as a male character? I wonder, because uh, underneath this, um, what appears to be like a progressive narrative choice is this uh, assumption that masculinity is inherently tied to uh, fiscal responsibility, right? And yeah, I just, I find it interesting. Today, I'm going to be talking to an old friend. His name is Saeed Green. He is a Berlin-based comedian and musician, a uh, very talented dude. I met him in Berlin uh, back in 2018, I guess. And yeah, like I, I enjoyed the times that I spent with Saeed. Uh, he's a former veteran, uh, served in the US Army right after 9-11. And um, he has some really fascinating insights and stories to tell. So let's talk to Saeed Green. What's up, Greg? Very nice. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Saeed? I'm chilling. Spit over here, just uh, yeah, yeah, just working and yeah, yeah, just breathing. How's comedy? How's comedy in Berlin? You know, it's crazy. Um, I don't know too much. Not on the English side. You know what I mean? I've been doing like, I don't know. I focus more on German at this point. German stand-up. That's great. Yeah. Plus, I do like um like music shows. So I do like beat looping and stuff like that. Like for the last few months, I've been going back and forth to uh, Dortmund and well, not back mm -hmm. and forth, but I had a few shows for the last few months over in Dortmund and I was doing yeah. like, beat looping and stuff like that. And like a little bit of jokes with the audience back and forth. And uh, it's been pretty dope. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I know how like, you know, you, you're also musically inclined, so that's great. Um, are you still making like your videos, like your little content videos? Yo, little I, sketch things? I haven't even had time to be honest. Like, nah, I haven't had time. It's been crazy. Cause like with my regular job, and that's another reason why I don't get on stage as much as I used to. Like, it's like, huh. like with my regular job, I like, I, I'm a, I'm a instructor. So like I teach like project management and stuff like that. So I'm doing that throughout the week. And so, like, with that, I'm like making jokes and making like pretty much doing my comedy through my through my training like all day. So that's been my, my, my stage for the most part. Yeah, yeah. So you're kind of getting your needs fulfilled through that. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. It's like all in German, so that's already like uh, 
you know, like the whole point about getting on stage is to have like that challenge of, you know, like getting somebody to laugh who who wanted to laugh, but necessarily didn't expect to be made to laugh. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. for me, like if I talk to these German students and I got them in there cracking up while they're learning. So it's like for me, it's like, oh, man, that's that's, you know, what I mean, I, I get everything from it. So, yeah, it's pretty satisfying. It's pretty dope. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's great, man. No, no, I was like, I was like, oh, I need to talk to Saeed because um, since like about three, four, I would say about three, four weeks ago, I decided that I'm going to sort of like lay off uh, meat and dairy because I know you're very vegan. You're still vegan. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, like, I remember when we were hanging out, like, back in Berlin, we used to talk a lot about, like, diet and food and, like, philosophy and shit. And, um, no, like, I was just like, oh, like, I want to talk to Saeed. Like, I want to catch up and see what he's up to. But, like, I mean, for me, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not like you. Like, I know that you turn to veganism. Well, let's, let's talk about that first. Like, I know the reason why you turned to veganism in the first place. So mm-hmm. like, can you sort of get into that a little bit? Like, Oh man, like, like so many reasons, to be honest, you know, it's crazy. I was like, I just ran across a message from somebody who I talked to like the day before I turned vegan, but like to just take it back. So, you know, I used to be a soldier, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, were, were you in army, in the army or Marines? I was in the army. And so mm-hmm, right. when I was in the army, I, I got a bunch of injuries because I was a truck driver, you know, yeah. so I got like a bunch of injuries while I was in the military. And, you know, so I got like three herniated discs. I got one in my neck. I got two in my lower back. And like, I still have okay. problems to this day, but like through veganism, I've been able to like reduce the pain a bit. And so like, I just, to yeah. be, like, I just woke up the other day and like, I was like, man, stiff. I couldn't walk and my back was just like locked but uh-huh. it's not as bad as it was before. So like if I eat meat and like, you know, and my body's just like taking all the resources from the rest of my body to like process it through my system, it just causes yeah. like a whole lot of problems. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with making that sacrifice, but I had been like trying a bunch of different methods of just like reducing the pain because it was crazy. Yeah. So like yeah. I was doing like pescatarian or pescatarian, something like that, which is like Italian. Pescatarian. A Thai word for fish or something like that. So yep, I was yep. eating fish, and that was cool. And then I started like eating right from my blood type, which is like A B, uh-huh. and that was cool. Yep. And I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. Then I went on a business trip to um, I was on a business trip in Turkey, and on my yeah. ride back, this was April 2000. I'm sorry, this was March 28th, 2018. I was on a flight back, and I was seated next to this like straight up hippie chick <laughs> yeah and we just bumped yeah. it up on the airplane and she was telling me about the whole veganism thing and i was like okay that sounds kind of dope and we just got into a long discussion about veganism and like we exchanged numbers and we just you know just talked every once in a while well like over the next day or whatever and i was like yo i think i'm going to try this vegan thing and this was like on like the the 31st i was like in fact i'm gonna start tomorrow so in yeah. the, april 2018 I was just like, yo, I'm done with meat. And yeah. I've been vegan ever since. And like, I feel great. I mean, I still got pain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like, as I get older, I still like, I'm still happy that, you know, I made that decision because it's not as bad as it could be. Just, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm 42 now. So like, as you get older, it's just like, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Exactly. But yeah, exactly. It's, been, it's been pretty dope. I got more energy now. You know what I mean? I think a whole lot faster. I'm more productive throughout my day. And uh yeah. I can't complain. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember like you talking about that because um you I remember like you also the way you got into the army was also fascinating, right? Yeah. You know, just like growing up in America, you know, I fell into a situation where like racism like caught its grips on me. And yeah. I was I was driving. Uh, me and my brother out in, we was on our way to Maryland. I'm sorry, we were on our way to mm-hmm. Virginia, 
to drop off some clothes because me and my brother, we had a clothing business. And we used to go back and forth to New York like every other day, buy clothes and bring it back. We started that. Oh, shit. Okay. Like 17. And this was around like 19 mm. when this situation happened. I'm about to explain. So we driving. And, you know, you get hot. You know, you out there, you young. Yeah. I'm smoking a bunch of weed and just whatever else is out there on the street. Yeah. But we loaded up on yeah. weed. We was like, it's going to be a long trip. Because I think it was like six hours from like Philly to Virginia. So uh-huh. it's we're far. Through, it's, it's mad far. And mm-hmm. we're driving through um, Maryland. And yeah. we're high. You know, we, we are high, yeah. whatever. And yeah. it was like on a dark road and we got lost. And I'm the one driving, yeah. and my brother was like, Yo, I think we need to bust a U turn. So I said, Okay, cool. The road, there was like uh, no lights whatsoever. And I'm yeah. driving, and I'm like, Okay, yeah. I'm bust a U turn. So I make a U turn and drive into a ditch. Yeah. And <gasps> a big ditch. I'm talking about like, I don't know, like five, six feet, you know, but like not too steep. And I drove down into this ditch, and I promise you, it was like a whole family of reindeer. Like, you know, you have stuff, right? You know, you done drove oh into the wrong ditch. And so we're out there for hours. We're just like hoping somebody drive past. Eventually, some lady drove past and she called the cops for us. And the cops came and pulled the car off the ditch, but then searched the car illegally. <laughs> yeah, they searched the car illegally, had us on the hood of the car. We out there <gasps> in the middle of nowhere. These dudes got deep accents. This is out in like Wicomical, Maryland. Oh. So I looked up, I'm on the hood of the car. I looked at my brother. I was like, I love you, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought we were dead that night, and they searched the car illegally, found the weed. I had like $500 on me. My brother had $900 in his pocket. They looked in the trunk of the car, found a whole bunch of clothes in the car, and they was like, these guys are drug dealers, they're trafficking. So by the time I went back to court, I took my pop with me. My father's a pastor, and so my parents, they saw I came from a decent family, and the judge, okay, listen. I'm going to put you out on like stout document, which is like a probation type of thing. He said, but if you do anything wrong, I'm going to bring you back in and I'm going to process you. It pretty much at the extent of the law. So it's like probation for three years, but I don't have to report to anybody. He said, so you can go mm-hmm. to the military, do what you got to do. But if you mess up, you're coming back. So that's how I got into the military. I went on my own court because I'm like, okay, I got to figure something out. By this time, I just kind of got tired of getting in trouble back in Philly. And I'm just like, yo. You know how it's like where I'm from, you got only a few ways out. You either die, you go to prison, or you go into the military. And uh-huh. like the the recruiter, not the recruiter, but the um the lawyer that I had, he was only good for one thing. And that was pretty much like looking at my history and say, yo, he's been in trouble before, but it was never like a felony. You know right. what I mean? And so, you know, they found some stuff. And the, the thing that really got us off was the fact that everything was, they, that they searched illegally. They weren't even supposed to be inside my car. Exactly, yeah. There was no, I mean, you guys asked for help because you fell into a ditch. Like, this was yeah. an emergency situation. You fell into a ditch. But the crazy thing about it is, like, so the, the, the my brother, we got out a year, within a year, within the same year, 9-11 happened. Right. Yeah. So now, exactly. Yep. Just got into the military, and like I went through all my training, and like I think like two weeks after I finished the training, nine eleven. Yeah. And we driving up the street one day, and like I, I'm listening to on the radio. I'm actually driving up the street with a with a recruiter, and like we we listened to it on the radio. I remember this construction dude walked past the front of the car. Yeah. It was like we got guns yeah. too, because I had my uniform on. He was like, we got guns too, and I'm like, fuck. Okay. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just- I know that that's the thing. Like when you when you and I were talking, I remember where we were too. We were at um, it was the bar where Rohit was running his show, like in the basement. You remember? Yeah. Uh, what was the name of that bar again? I forget. Uh, Revolver or something like that. Revolver, exactly. It was the Revolver show, yeah. and. You know, you were just kind of telling me like how you ended up serving in the army, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, it's like messed up. And then I was like, "So you went like right after nine eleven, like right when we were about to go to war?" And you were like, "Yeah, I guess I did." <laughs> like, no, that hadn't even occurred to you at the time, but you were like, "I guess, I guess I did." Like, you know, it was just like timing wise, 
it just sucked, you know, because yeah. you know what's crazy? The the wild thing about it is, let me see. So we got out, I got out in February. One year later, my brother wound yeah. up passing away. Right? So oh, the same when I was sorry. Out there, it's been a while, you know, it's crazy sometimes. You know, the wild thing about it though, so I got out in February, my brother passed away one year later in February, and then one year after that, I was in Iraq. Yeah. So in February, so I think, yeah, I was in February, I was in Iraq early February. So we went in like right when the war was like kicking off. So for whatever reason, every February, within a year's time, I was in like a new like a new mind state, new location. It was just like crazy. But it's been like a wild mm-hmm. road, man. But yeah, so that's how I got into the military and also how I'm here in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, when you were I mean you you did you did tour in Iraq, right? Was it Iraq or Afghanistan? Iraq. Were you, were you Iraq? Yeah. Um, I mean like when you were out there and you're serving and I mean I don't know if like this is like you know, rude of me to ask or anything. If it's like uncomfortable, like by all means, you can stop me. Um, like when you're out there serving, like how did you feel? Like were you like afraid? Were you uh, anxious? Or were you just like just focused on what your task was, your duties? Like what was your general feeling when you first got there? And then how did those feelings evolve as you were serving there? And how long were you there and stuff? To be honest. When I was there, like I kind of, I kind of went to Iraq because I knew the war was popping off. You know what I mean? So I kind of yeah. went to Iraq because, like, I just got tired of like trying to deal with like what happened to my brother in the same location. You know, so like by the time I, I got see. to Iraq, I didn't, I didn't even care. It's like I was, right. still, I was definitely still alert, but I can't yeah. remember. And like this is full honesty, I can't remember not one moment of being scared. I definitely remember being super cautious because like there were times you just we're driving on like dark road in the middle of the desert with nothing but night vision goggles on. I, I don't know if you understand yeah. how that feels. Like everything that yeah. moves, it's you feel like it's a person, whether it's a bush, rat, or whatever. It's it's weird. And we're uh. driving like 18 wheeler vehicles transporting fuel. It was like, and we were always targeted bombs getting shot at just like crazy so i was definitely cautious but i can't remember being fair like like being scared and to be honest i kind of like i I felt peace out there it was it was was a crazy thing because like i spent a lot of time just out in the middle of the desert and when you're out there in the middle of the desert and there's like no matter what direction you look in there's nothing and then you look up in the sky, mm. you can see every star in the sky. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like it's the greatest form of peace. It's it's so crazy. Like I went to a, I went on a business trip over in um, Abu Dhabi back in 2008. Mm-hmm. I had to teach mm-hmm. over there. And when I arrived in the desert, I just felt like I was home. Mm. It it was it was I don't know. It's a feeling that I can't really even explain. Plus, when I was in Philly. Like in Philly, like Philly was already a war zone anyway. Like I had when I was seventeen, exactly. I got shot at. You know what I mean? Exactly. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know how it is in America. It, it's it's a wild place to be. I was more comfortable yep. in Iraq, knowing who the quote-unquote enemy was, than I was in Philly, not knowing if my friend was going to try to rob me or kill me or something like that. So it's fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's such a good point, you know, because like you as like a black man in, in Philly, you know, you were because you were constantly like shell shocked anyway, yeah. because of the environment that you were in. When you go out to the desert, it's like, OK, like at least you don't have to worry about um, like your kin, you know, like or or whatever. Like it's not like your home ground being like exploded or whatever. It's like you're you're out there in a remote location you and your colleagues regardless of your race you are sort of standing banded together as one and so there's that unity and that security but there's also the peace of the quiet remoteness of the desert it's like yeah no thanks for put thanks for explaining that because it 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 does sort of put a lot of things into perspective i think you know civilians have a very 
black and white perspective on what veterans go through and what the experience, but it's like, it's more than just uh, the, how do I call it? The conflict or combat. It's, it's way more than that. It's like, it's a full experience. You were also like 20 years younger, right? You were like so young, you were such a young man and like everything was like new and like, it's a totally different location, completely different from Philadelphia, right? Like where you were in Iraq. You know, I was crazy. Mm. Iraq, and I've been around the world, and Iraq was probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. Like mm. Baghdad, mm-hmm. like you, you drive up the street, the streets, like certain parts, the streets look brand new. The highways are huge. Yeah. There's palm trees yeah. on both sides. Like, and I, I was oh, wow. part of, like, the uh, quick reaction force for some time. And, like, it was only 11 of us. So, like, our responsibility was, like, anytime the base got attacked, we had to go off into the village and find out who yeah. was going. So we spent a lot of time in the village. So I was a part, I was away from my unit for a little bit. And so we, we spent a lot of time in the village with the actual, with people in the village. And so sometimes yeah. we would actually be inside the house, sitting on the floor, eating with these people. And right. We, we, I'm talking about like we're eating from the same, we're sitting on the same blanket, blanket eating from the same big tray and drinking from the same bowl. And yeah. I swear to you, this water tasted like it came straight from the Euphrates River. <laughs> but yeah. it was like yeah. it's an experience that you just don't get anywhere else because then you get to see who these people really are. And the people yeah. many times were just so hospitable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got a chance to like just see just a completely other side of what the rest of the world sees. So it was just like, uh-huh. I don't know. It's just, it was an amazing experience to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was beautiful. Like the kids, I played with the kids a lot of times. Now it, it's, it's crazy because there were so many different situations. There were times where we'd be driving up the road and bombs would go off. You're like, Oh, like I've had bombs go off. Like I was driving with a friend of mine, I'm not going to say his name, but like it was only maybe a meter, two meters away, but it didn't go Shit. off the way it was supposed to. It, it like dudded out, but the sound of the explosion was still there. So, and then like the heart just pops out of your chest. So it was like, there were a lot of close calls, but there were also a lot yeah. of situations where it's like, oh man, I just met this kid the other day and it was the coolest kid ever. And so you, right. you're bouncing back and forth the whole time between these different experiences. And you kind of don't know what experience to trust because you just like, you just moving the whole time. But then eventually right. you accept okay, this is what it is, and I'm just going to keep on moving forward until we get out of here. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. yeah. When when were you discharged? Like, when were you sent back home? I got out uh, back in February 2006, so that was the second time I was in Iraq. Again, February? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even think, <laughs> I didn't even think about, yo, I didn't even think about that. That's, that's, uh, I don't know what it is about February. <laughs> That's crazy. February, you know, February, February. I was born in February. I was born February 20th. February is like the month of Pisces, where Pisces begins, like the zodiac of Pisces begins. It's Aquarius cusp. It's a very interesting time. Like it's a very mystical time. February is a very mystical time. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people think that, you know, Christ was born in February. Like they say he might be a Pisces. Uh, Christ was around during the the age of Pisces, you know, like right now, currently we're sort of in the transition into age of Aquarius, but Christ was around during the age of Pisces. So like February is a very mystical month in general. That's so, yeah. I didn't even think about mm-hmm. it. And so I, I got out in 2006 of February. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was my second time in Iraq. And during that time, I wasn't driving trucks because I was injured from okay. from the first time. This time, they put me inside an office, and okay. I had a lot of troubles during this time because I didn't know that I had PTSD. Like nobody even really understood PTSD during this time. Like you, you took me out. I was in a war zone the first year for a whole year, and I'm out yeah. there, like really out there on the battlefield. With, with you know with my with my with my pretty much my army family, I, I'm still connected with like so many of them now. Like we're still connected on look every once in a while we talk. That's my peoples. Um, of course. But you you take me you take a soldier out of this war zone now you put him in an office and you expect for him to just like be normal. 
And I was never a yeah. type anyway. So like it was a struggle yeah. already. So it was like, yo. Like what were what were some of the details of it? Like what what did you what was particularly like stressful about that environment? Like how were you reacting? What was going through your mind? Like what was the um, process? Like, well, the stressful was thing the about it was the unit that they assigned me to, nobody from that yeah. unit had ever been to war before. Okay. And it was at, it was an administrative unit. And so now I'm around. So you couldn't relate to anybody. You couldn't really connect to anybody. To nobody except for this one guy. I'm not going to say his name, but like I got love for right. God's yeah. dad's my dude. He looked out for me when nobody else did. But like sure. he put me in this environment where it's like a bunch of college students and everybody just like, oh, it's bored, but we're living on the base and we're living inside of our office. And I'm just like, yo, I get that. But like I'm, I'm a battlefield kid type of thing. And like what the, I, I don't understand the politics of this. This situation right here, I'm out here because I'm, I'm, I'm injured and, and y'all treat me like, you know, I, I just felt like it was just like, I don't want to go into too many details, but it was just like a crazy situation. But right. they wound up pretty much taking me out of the office and then put me into a wood shop. And which was like the dopest huh. thing ever because in this wood okay. shop, it was an endless supply of wood and all the yeah. working tools that I wanted. So like I can cut okay. the wood and, and I walk in there and you just have to, like this smell of pine. So what I did yeah. today was I made furniture. So oh. my second time in Iraq, I just spent a lot of time just making like gun racks and, and, and boxes and chairs and, yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. And it was dope. And eventually I guess like my PTSD was just like, you know, just getting crazy. And then my injury was getting worse because I wanted to like lifting up a, um, an air conditioning unit and just like mess my back up even worse. And I wanted to have, uh, I wanted to get sent home, and I wanted to getting out shortly afterwards. So, okay, you know the crazy thing about this whole PTSD thing, I didn't even know. Not even back then, I didn't know I had PTSD back then. I didn't know I had PTSD until I got into comedy. Who told you that you have PTSD? I had realized it on my own. I realized that it wasn't oh. normal to wear contact lenses when I left the house, just in case I got into a fight. You know what I mean? Huh. And like that's the life I was just living every day for like for years. Like your mind was constantly in defense mode, like ready to protect yourself or defend yourself or attack somebody if you needed to, like constantly in pot potential trigger mode. Um, not necessarily. Yeah, to defend myself, not necessarily attacking anybody. Cause I, I think right, I, right. I, to protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. To protect yeah. myself. Like, okay. I feel like there's, there's, there's danger and I feel like I'm kind of like a target. You know what I mean? What would, what would trigger you? Like, what, is it a sound or is it a sight or do you not know? Like what was like your, your trigger in, in your living in your day to day? Um, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say that there was a trigger. Um, huh. like there was nothing else. Like, okay. It's time to, it's time to, Oh, it, it was just yeah, yeah, like, yeah. growing up in Philly already. I was already, as I walked through the street, I'm already like super alert. Like, okay, I know these people. High alert. Yeah, I know this particular area. They got guns over heads easy. Like, I, I know, right. you know what I'm saying? Got it. So just, it, it's got more, it. super high alert and not necessarily, oh. So constantly <laughs> vigilant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Constantly vigilant. There you go. Got it, got it, got it. Yo. So, okay, there's this book that I've been reading is called The Body Keeps the Score. And he's a psychiatrist who studies PTSD and brains. Have you heard of this book? No. The Body Keeps the Score. It's a pretty The Body Keeps the Score. It's a pretty popular book. So he studied PTSD among veterans. And then he studied PTSD among like black and brown communities, like children especially who grow up in these poverty-stricken communities. And notice that brain scan wise, very similar, mm -hmm. meaning you probably already had PTSD from growing up in Philly, you know, yeah. growing up like around like guns. Like, as you say, you were already in a war zone. You know what I mean? We used to like, so, yeah. And you go to sleep to gunshots. Like, um, yeah. like even my brother, he just wrote a book um, called, uh, it's, it's called filtering. Like um, it's pretty much it's like, filtering your, your daily process or your life processes to find the greatness in it and be able to just pretty much, you know, drive through any experience with pretty much full power. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. the book is a whole lot better than that. 
But inside sure, yeah. speaks about what he went through as well, just like walking home from school one day around six or seven years old and witnessing somebody yeah. and somebody getting shot. So like yeah. that's the environment we grew up in. So you're already just oh. like, okay, this is what happened yeah. in the world. This is what happens in our life. And it's just Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's, it's um yeah. But I can't yeah, kinda I, get normalized like, to it, yeah. That's an American thing though. I mean, yes, uh-huh. like, as a black person, we go through yeah. quite a bit. But I think anybody who grows up in a um a conflict written zone. Um Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, even within like a family, like if you have parents who are constantly like hitting each other, screaming at each other, breaking shit all the time. If you had abusive parents yeah. who were hitting you all the time, like that's you're right. Anybody who grew up in a constant state of conflict, they all are going to be hyper vigilant all the time. Right now, I'm reading a book written by Stephanie Fu. Uh, she used to work for like This American Life, like on NPR and shit, you know. And uh, she's a Malaysian American, but ethnically Chinese. And she had like severely abusive parents. Like her mother used to beat the shit out of her since she was very young. Her father was also like he, her father once took like a golf club and tried to like smash her head in. Um, Like her, her parents both tried to murder her multiple times in her young life. Um, She's like her mother abandoned her when she was like very young. And then her father eventually abandoned her when she was a teenager. So severe trauma. Right. And uh, she writes about suffering from CPTSD. So a lot of veterans, like they get diagnosed with PTSD from like being in conflict zones. CPTSD, which stands for complex PTSD, is applied for uh, people who had like severely abusive childhoods. And like reading her book, it's like both very painful for me, but also like very enlightening because, you know, like a lot of uh, like Asian, Asian American, like Asian diaspora families grew up with like severe, severe physical abuse. You know, like I grew up with corporal punishment, like it was just a norm. (laughs) And then I get older and then I talk about it and the white people are like, that's not normal. <laughs> like, that's what are you talking about? Like, that's fucking crazy. You know, and like, I, I wasn't born in the States. You know what I mean? Like, I was born in South Korea. I grew up in Busan. And back when I was in nursery school, I had teachers who used to beat the shit out of us. You know, like, I'm talking like, like severe, severe corporal punishment um, to the point of like seeing blood on kids' faces and stuff. So, you know, like, what you're saying is very illuminating because anybody, any human person who has experienced like a lot or sustained a lot of conflict and physical harm or even verbal assault, emotional, mental or spiritual abuse on a constant, they all have some kind of complex trauma in them. Mm-hmm. But what I'm also learning from what you're talking about, like you seem to be very lucky. I mean, that's just what I get, like from you saying like, oh, like February is like an interesting month for me because there's these huge transitions in February each month. And like I said, February is a very mystical month. Mm-hmm. But also you you seem to be a very lucky individual because, OK, you sustain an injury, a physical injury that you're still kind of suffering from. But they move you out. You go into an office An office. Technically, technically, an office is a safer environment, right? Like you are at least protected from physical harm. That's not to say that you're not protected from mental abuse. I've worked in offices. It could be very dehumanizing. But that also doesn't quite work for you. So you end up going into woodwork, which I didn't even know that, like, that's something that was part of, like, the whole military experience, like, doing woodwork. It's not. So you kind of made made it happen yourself? Yeah. We just so happened to have a a room that had, like, a... Well, we had a building that had a wood shop in it, and it was just like, yeah. Got it. It Got it. it See, what I'm talking about is, like, that, you go into that with deliberate, like, will and intention. Like, I would say that you doing woodwork has saved you in a huge way, because doing woodwork is a very creative outlet. Mm -hmm. One massive way of treating trauma is to do something creative with your hands 
like it's like a bilateral movement thing. A lot of psychiatrists talk about it, but they say like if you're feeling crazy, go for a walk because it's a bilateral movement and your brain enjoys bilateral movements. Mm -hmm. When you're doing woodwork, you're using your hands in a bilateral way. You're giving yourself therapy and it's a creative outlet. It's like after you finish something, it's like you feel a sense of accomplishment and love for the object. All of that is massively therapeutic, you see? Mm -hmm. And then and then eventually you go into like music, you start doing music and comedy. I would say that that whole woodwork thing has been this massive gateway for you to find healing from the war zone conflict that you experienced in Philadelphia and in Iraq and in the office and all of that. And like, yeah, I, I say that's why you're lucky. And also when you were talking about how when you were in Iraq, you were genuinely present and recognizing the moments of humanity when you were being present with the families that you were eating with you know you're like oh i'm on the floor sitting with them eating with them from the same plate from the same bowl this is an experience and there's love here there's connection and humanity here when you're going and playing with the kids you're like i'm connecting with them there's love and humanity here it's like your brain was really saving you in a lot of ways is what i'm saying yeah. you know and, and, yeah yeah no please go ahead it's um i don't know it's it's, it's one of those things i kind of accept it early well <laughs> and I, I feel bad about this sometimes but like when we first got there you know i'm i'm, I'm moving straight off immediately you know what i mean it's the yeah. me so like i'm just pointing my rifle everywhere you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. fortunate to say I didn't kill anybody. You know what I mean? That right. had right. I done that, that would have just that would have haunted me. So oh, okay. I'm blessed to not have done that. Um, yeah. But I was definitely I was so alert that like, yo, don't look at me. You know, oh. I know what you're about. But uh -huh. after a few months, after like starting to interact with the people, because now we have to go on certain missions where we're going into different areas and we have to talk to the people it's like oh that was actually a cool dude right oh, yeah he's trying to sell the cigarettes you know what i mean you yeah realize, oh. yeah now you start to think okay i'm in their home and now yeah. start thinking, okay now how would i act if somebody came into my home so mm. now they're no longer now you're still technically an enemy if you're trying to do something but i still understand wow. now i'm in your house yeah so yeah I'm in a war zone, but I'm in your house. So I, I understand wow. where you're coming from with what you're doing. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to defend my family that I'm here with. But yeah. I'm you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now yeah. it's a person-to-person -person interaction versus, you know, uh, a soldier to an enemy. Yes. So I was blessed to get that understanding early. So then by the time yeah. they get closer with the people, now by the time I'm sitting down and I'm eating inside their home, I'm like, yeah. I'm eating with another person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it just, yeah. it changes the whole perspective on things. It does. Uh, I it's had, huge. It was a different type of freedom at that point. You know? Mm. You it, mm -hmm. And you know what? Now I think about it, when I go to the desert, that's the reason why I feel free because that was the probably one of the most freest moments, I guess, at that point in my life that I had ever felt. I had a different understanding of life. I'm in a war zone where you know at any moment they either can a bomb can drop on you or somebody can just show up out of nowhere. And I because see. we were the ones delivering fuel, we were constantly yeah. target. Like my my unit did yeah. more miles throughout Iraq than anybody. We got awards for that because we went in when the war first started. And like we had a gas station on our truck so we can fuel up ourselves and just keep on going. It was, it was, it was a crazy situation we would do missions for like 21 hours so we were just constantly out there so you just you have no choice but to you either you go nuts or you accept yeah. where you're at become extremely vigilant and just keep on yeah. going you know what i mean yeah because your truck was basically a bomb i mean you're carrying all that fuel yeah you know the worst time yeah. it's the worst time to drive that truck is when it's empty because you're huh. in a hundred and other was 44 Celsius. I don't know how much that is. Maybe like 130 degrees. It's like it's really okay. hot. And yeah, 
when it's empty, you still got the fumes inside that tank and it's building up, oh. building up. So when we would go up on top of the tank and open the the the, the um the latch, it would fly open because the fumes. Oh my god, the gases. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It would Holy up. shit. If somebody were to hit that truck while it's yeah. empty. Oh. So that was actually, fascinating. That was actually a greater fear than getting hit when it's full. You know? Wow. Yeah. So like, right on. There were a lot of times where we would deliver that fuel and then now we drive back and that's about a three hour ride. And we just like, yo, nobody hit this truck. <laughs> 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 it's like, yeah, it was it was it was wild, man. So it's like your mind just went into that mode. It's like I have to be present right now. Like I have nothing but the present moment. Mm-hmm. That's that's fascinating. That's fast. You know, what's funny is like, you know, so many people because I live in L.A. now, as you know, like so many fucking SoCal people are like into the whole like mindfulness and presentness and meditation. But like, you know, we have to like willfully and intentionally do it by sitting still and closing our eyes, focusing on our breathing. But that's something you had to do any you were kind of forced to do that because it's like you don't know when life is going to stop. Yeah. And like this present moment is all you had. So your whole body and mind just went into alignment anyway, right? You know what's crazy, wow. though? And, it's, and, it, and it's, it's a weird thing that it, it, it hurts me so much to this day. And I never even told my mom this. I was there for a whole year. And I don't know if any of my, my, my comrades, like my, my soldier family went through this, but like I was so gone. You know, I had just lost. I had mm. lost my brother a year before even going to Iraq. I never even yeah. with that. I re- I didn't yeah. know until like recently that I had been escaping back for so long. Sure. Yes. I got to Iraq and now I'm in this war zone and I'm just like in constant survival mode. You know what I mean? Just, uh-huh. just yes. By the time I got back home, I went to I went back to Philly within a month after I got back home, thinking, okay, it's normal, I'm good. I walked into right. my parents' house and my mom gave me the biggest hug. And I, yeah. and I, I didn't feel anything. Right. And like, right. think about it now, it was just like, ah, that's my mom. I love my mom so much. And to not really yeah. feel the embrace, you know what I mean? That's how oh. far gone you are after you come. Yeah. You don't still feel bad about that? Like you still feel guilty and ashamed about that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I, I just feel bad. You know, I, I don't know if I I see. necessarily feel like, I don't know, maybe I do feel a little guilty, maybe a little bit of shame because this is my mom. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I do understand. I have to have an understanding for myself. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I look back at my, my younger self, and, like, this is the reason why comedy helped me. Because, you know, for comedy, you have to start looking in your past and find the bad situations and make it funny. And then you bring it to the uh-huh. So it forced me yeah. to look back and start to look at my other, at my younger self as a separate person. So now I look at my younger self and I'm like, okay, that's what you were going through. That's what he was going through. I understand. Yeah. Well, I don't necessarily feel guilty. It's yeah. I'm still seeking to understand the person that I was at that time and why I felt the yeah. way I felt. And yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's it, it's there's so much that just goes on within this this world of PTSD. It's like you, you, you put these soldiers in an environment that's even more beautiful than their own home. Right. And then you bring them back to a regular environment and it's like, yo, go back to work. He's like, oh, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. But there were palm trees over there. There was palm trees exactly. and exorcism. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. cold, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it is this. I don't. They know. don't give you any room to process anything. Yeah. Not, but how do you get? Like, how how do you provide that for anybody? You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, it, you don't. You don't like. They they offer you counseling when you get back. They say, "Do you need counseling?" I'm like, "No, dude, I'm from Philly." Oh. You know. Uh, so I didn't even uh, counseling. I'm like, this is normal for me. This is what we do. Uh huh. I didn't uh-huh. normal. I'm, I'm a young dude. I just survived the war zone. I'm like, yo, I'm good, man. They need counseling. Yeah. The war's crying. Yeah, uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? But even still, mm. what type of counseling are you going to give somebody who's been dealing with this type of zone like their whole life? You know what I mean? Right. Right. 
you, there, there is no regular counseling for that type of person. So it's like, I don't even know what can help like a lot of soldiers at this point, especially if you're a black soldier that comes from the type of environment that I'm, where I'm from. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. But this, again, this is why I say you're lucky, man. Like you're a very lucky individual because earlier when you were talking about how you felt so anyway, like when you were talking about how like your mother embraced you and you felt nothing, like you felt numbness, that's uh, that's because you were in a state of disassociation. They use this term a lot in PTSD. You were disassociating. You had been disassociating since you were a child, I'm sure. Like guns are going off, but you have to go to sleep because it's nighttime. You have to just accept that this is normal. You're disassociating from your humanity, which is to be like, this is a, this is frightening. This is not okay. Like I, I should have peace and calm. So since you were a child, you were disassociating anyway from mm -hmm. any threat or fear because to be in constant alert and fear like that is like no way to live. You can't live, right? So you were disassociating since you were a child. But I think, as you mentioned, your disassociation was happening even more intensely after your brother passed away, right? Yeah. You ran away to the army, basically, and you ran into the war zone because you were like, I want to disassociate from the pain of losing my brother because it's a massive pain. And while you were in Iraq, while you were serving, you were disassociating even more because there's like constant threat of death all around you. But while disassociating, you were also learning mindfulness. You were like, I'm pre I have to be present and alert at all times. So that that mindfulness thing was kind of treating you in some way was healing you in some way right mm -hmm. um and then when i asked you like oh like w when your mother embraced you and you feel bad like was that bad feeling was it shame or guilt and you were like yes maybe but you said i have to understand my younger self in that moment that is also talked about a lot in trauma therapy where they say speaking to your younger self having love for your younger self, accepting your younger self for who and what they are in that moment, giving them the love that they need. That is a huge, massive part of healing. Like they do that therapy all the time. They call it inner child therapy. And you were doing that just on your own. You see, this is what I mean by saying you're lucky, Saeed, because it's like your, your, your mind, your higher consciousness, we could call it the divine. We can call it your inner being. We could call it whatever. Like, it seems like they're looking out for you. Like, they're really looking out for your 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 lived reality, your, your body and your mind in a really powerful way. Because it's like, you're able to come to these kinds of wisdoms and insights just kind of on your own. And you seek it willingly because I think you do have an intense love for yourself. You know, that's why, like, I wanted to talk to you about you being vegan, because I was like, you know, I know that, like, meat is not good for me. Like, I know you can, like, look at people and be like, oh, like, what blood type they are. And I was like, when you first did that, I was like, that's fascinating. That's fascinating <laughs> that you can do this just by reading books. That's fucking crazy. But, like, I went to a, a holistic doctor a bunch of years ago, and, you know, he just takes my pulse, you know. It's like in India, like they call it Ayurveda and in Korea, they call it eight body types, but they take your pulse and they designate like what kind of body type you are. And they say like, these kinds of foods are good for you, gives you energy. These kinds of foods are bad for you. They take, take away your energy. So meat for me, especially because my kidneys and my liver are weak mm -hmm. and that's what processes meat. It's like, I would get congested whenever I eat meat, um, wheat, dairy, sugar these things that i love to eat spicy foods and make me sweat like hell so it drains my energy uh, like if i eat these things it's fun and it's good in the moment like i love eating it in the moment but afterwards i have to pay for it dearly i'm like really tired depressed fogginess cloudiness in my head and joint problems that was the thing that was getting to me lately i was like i can't even sit for a long time if i sit for a long time i get up whole body's just like stiff yeah and i've been trying to get into yoga lately and yoga is like like strength training like muscle training and i'm like i can't even do some of these moves because i have so much lactic acid in my muscles from all the dairy i've been eating which i know is not good for me and it's not that dairy and meat is bad for everybody there are certain body types that thrive off of them like my mom for instance like she's a totally different body type from me but 
I was like, if I want to, if I want to say I love myself and I care for myself, then I have to be vigilant and good to myself in terms of what kind of foods I eat and be conscious. Right. Yeah. And so anyway, that, that's why I was like thinking about you. I was like, Oh, I want to, I want to talk to Said about this because like, I remember when you first told me about this stuff, I was like, Oh, it's so interesting how dedicated he is to his health. Like, you know, you went to doctors for your back pain. They couldn't help you with it. So you just read all these books. Like you just like educated yourself, empowered yourself. And you were like, Oh, let me try this. Let me try that. And you figured out a way to treat like your own treatment regimen for your health. And I was just like, yeah, I was just in, in awe of that, you know? And that's, that's why I wanted to talk to you about that. So you're 24 years old and you're walking up the street with a cane. You got to figure something out. <laughs> Yeah. Like, 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 yeah. It, it's like true story. You know what I mean? You got to figure something out. You're like, yo, I'm way too young to be feeling like this. And like I said, I still, to this day, I still feel pain, but it's, it's not to the extent as it was. And yeah. even though I still feel, feel pain, I'm still grateful for the decisions that I made. I'm like, okay, I know how it was. Like, Right now, I'm happy I can still sit down. Like, if I sit down for too long, I still got the issue with, like, sciatical nerve that goes down, like, my leg. And, you know, you, your, your butt start hurting. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, before, yeah. it was just like, I couldn't even sit down for a few minutes. Yeah. But, like, that, that nerve yeah. running down and your toes start getting numb. And then, like, the uh-huh. nerve from, like, it's a C3, C4, I believe, in my neck. Yeah, yeah. And so that started yeah. all the problem, like, in my arm and, like, you know, like, my pointer finger and my thumb start getting numb. It's just, like... If I, I, I can't type for too long because it still happens. You know, it's like yeah. it, 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 extreme carpal tunnel type of thing, which is also yeah. one of my super happy that I have the job I have now with the uh, with teaching thing because I don't have to sit down and like like type anymore. I can just like yes. talk to people and use my hands. I'm like, eh. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm. But I'm going to tell you. I love that. I'm going to tell yeah. you. That right there, going to war, going to war and yeah. like surviving that, that just makes everything else easy at this point. Like, like I said, the job uh, I have now, I teach in 100% yeah. German. I use yeah. maybe two English words throughout the day. But yes, I'm I'm going to be honest, and not to toot my own home, but it takes a lot of confidence to just like say, you know what, I'm going to go in there and do that. And my German ain't perfect. Yeah. But I still yeah. want to like get the point across. And so with right. being in the military, you, you have to like make a decision and just go full force with it because if you don't, you can die. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it, it is the same thing with the stage. You, you know how that feels. You got to, yeah, you got to go out there. You got these jokes, and you know somebody gonna feel some type of way about it, but you got to commit to it. And they right, just right. type of way about it. But I'm gonna tell these jokes. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Weird thoughts out of my head. You know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. whatever you went through, it caused you to do the same thing. We're just like, you know what? It's the life that we live. I'm gonna go full force, and I'm gonna make this happen. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, everything that we go through leads us in a particular direction. And I guess for me, my go through was the military and, and the, the neighbor. Mm. And your go through was what the, you know, the experiences that you had coming yeah. up. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, you always have this sort of like, you kind of see the blessing in everything, you know, like there is a blessing in this. Like there is some like silver lining to this. And you do emphasize that. And I, I think, I think that's awesome. Okay, so since my podcast is called K-Drama School, I do talk about K-Dramas and we'll wrap with this. So I ask you questions and this, like you could improvise your answers. This is supposed to be the fun part. Comics love this part. Like, I I just ask you, what would you do if you were this character in this situation? And you just riff off of that, okay? Are you ready? All right, so the show I'm basing these questions on is called Encounter. Uh, let's say you're a Korean woman in her late 30s named Suhyun, and you're the CEO of a chain of hotels. All right. You're a big honcho, you know, big lady. You're working on a new hotel opening in Cuba. So you're in Cuba. And one evening you, you couldn't sleep. So you go for a walk by yourself and some asshole steals your purse. You lose your phone. You lose your wallet. You're stranded. You have no idea how to get back to the hotel. What do you do? I'll probably enroll in like a, a jujitsu class first <laughs> and then buy some good brass knuckles. Um, I don't know. And I'll probably just uh, go nuts. I'll probably get like real diesel. I'll be like the most diesel Asian 
woman in her mid-30s walking around Cuba just ready to just put hands on somebody if they try to get these this, this cash out of my wallet. And then I'll be like super successful. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. So as soon as you lose your wallet and phone, in that moment, you just learn jujitsu so that you could just get oh, 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 moment. Yeah, in that moment. What would you do in that moment? You lost your wallet, your phone, your purse. Oh, stranded me, me in Cuba. I'm going to probably be like, yo, okay, I guess I wasn't supposed to have that. Like, you know what I'm saying? What's next? Oh, just move on from it. Yeah, pretty Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. Radical acceptance of the moment. Shit. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Okay. Fine. Let's say you're a young man. Now you're a young man named Chin Hyuk. Okay. You're in your mid twenties. You were in Cuba alone vacationing, you know, and that you meet this hot lady in her late thirties and you end up really liking her. You guys had a great time. She seems very businesslike, very well off, but you don't ask her too many questions. You don't even know her name. You don't know anything personal about her. You just enjoyed her company that one day. Now, you get back to Seoul, where you live, and they say you got a, you got a job. You got an entry-level job in hospitality management at a hotel. You go to orientation on first day of your work, and the CEO at the platform talking to you guys is that lady you met in cuba who you like she's your boss what do you do she's my boss well i'll probably catch her in the coffee the coffee uh break room and just like talk to her like on a regular basis not even like in a flirtation type of way just to kind of fill out the vibe and then she giving me that vibe back i'm gonna see if i can get promoted (laughs) okay all right shit Okay, fine. Let's say you're you're that CEO lady. You're Suhyun now. Okay, you were having a really bad day, so you ask this guy Jin Hyuk to go and get ramen with you. All right, but the next day there's a photo of you and a young man with his face all blurred out, all over the news, and they're speculating on a new love interest in your life. This big powerful CEO lady. People are dragging around this poor guy in the dirt without even knowing anything about him. Okay, you feel bad. What do you do? Oh, like they're dragging him in the dirt? Yeah. I mean, more than likely, I would, I would have to stick up for the person. I mean, if, if, they, if they found out who he is, you know what I'm saying? I would, I would mm. stick up for the person. Like, yo, nah, don't even do that. I know this guy from the past, really good guy, and I'm kind of like mentoring him in the right direction at this point. We're working at the same company. He told me about his mm. goals, so on and so on. I, I had to step up for the person. Okay. You know? Interesting. All right, mentoring. That's an interesting strategy. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> You're that same CEO lady, okay? You're Suhyun now, okay? You used to be married to a really rich guy, but your ex said he wanted to leave you to be with another woman, Okay. So you agreed on this divorce. As a settlement for the divorce, his family gave you this chain of hotels that you are now a CEO of. Now, your ex-mother-in-law is telling you to get back together with her son and threatens to take away the hotel and ruin your reputation by taking more photographs of you and that young man if you don't get back together with her son. What do you do? I saw the hotel and take my loss. There ain't no point in being with somebody you ain't happy with. It's going to be even worse when the money is involved. So I'll sell the hotel mm. and keep it moving. Remove her power. Oh, shit. Okay. Wow. Just give it all up. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right. All right. Let's say, let's say you're Chin Hyuk now. You're that young man. Okay. People at the office are speculating that you and the CEO have some romantic thing going on, okay? Your friend and coworkers at the office, they're like giving you shit about it. They're telling you you don't belong with somebody like her. Colleagues at work are giving you shit, saying that they don't feel comfortable around you now that you're dating their boss. Your mother tells you not to ruin your life by dating some older divorced woman who is way out of your economic league. What do you do? First off, they wouldn't even know about anything if I was doing it. And then uh, the second side of it would be, I mean, people want to talk. What you going to do about that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would more than likely, the only person I would have a conversation with is my mom and just make her understand whatever decision I'm making is based off of how I feel and what I feel like I need to do. Everybody else, they can kick rocks. 
Mm. As long as I keep quiet, eventually everybody else is going to quiet down. Mm. Okay. Okay. Got it. But you guys are dating. I guess I forgot to mention that. We are are actually dating. dating. You guys are in love. That's even more reason for me to keep it quiet. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Final question. I love how direct and simple you are with these answers, by the way. It's like, <laughs> you're very righteous. You're like, ah, I got my morals and ethics and I'll stick to them. <laughs> I don't care how crazy it gets over there. I know I know what I'm about. Okay, okay, okay. Final question. Let's say you're Chin Hyuk. You're the young man, okay? You come to work one day and somebody tells you that you're being transferred to a different hotel location. This is done intentionally to separate you from Suhyun, the CEO. On top of that, Suyun's ex-husband has now been named co-CEO of the hotel chain that she is owning. And he's a lot he's around a lot more. And he's sending her flowers. He's trying to get back into her life. This is your woman. What do you do? Well, I'm gonna look at the fact that I'm being relocated as a dope opportunity. I ain't gotta deal with these knuckleheads no more. And as far as her, I'm gonna keep on doing what I'm doing. If we're supposed mm. to be together, it's going to work out. If it ain't, she can go. I mean, put it like this. If he could win her over with whatever he's doing, then she ain't supposed to be with me anyway. Yeah. And it might be painful, but eventually I'm not going to care. You know, time moves past and so does bad experience. So it is what it yeah. is. Okay. Again, very chill about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So so much trust. So much self-trust. It's great. Hey, I've been... <laughs> been I've been through 10 years of marriage and a nasty divorce. So it's like, you know. That's right. Okay. It is what it is. Whatever. Fuck it. It was lovely talking to you, Saeed. Thank you. Hey, likewise, Grace. Uh, You need to come back to Berlin, man. Yeah, I do. I will. I will very soon. Yeah. Hey, thank you. All right.